seat him. I don't always get to sit in the front row, but man, y'all are singing it out this morning. It's great. Somebody must have said something about that in Sunday school. Uh, it sounds wonderful uh, today. Let me invite you to turn to our preaching passage. Uh, we're in Matthew 14, uh, the end of uh, the chapter. We're going to look at verses 22 uh, to 36. We're beginning to see a new theme uh, opened up to us in this gospel, uh, and that theme is the identity of Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's somewhat confused. Uh, sometimes it's clear. There's sort of a growing realization or understanding as we go through this gospel uh, as to who Jesus is. I'm going to see that particularly uh, in these verses this morning. It's a familiar story. You've heard it before, whether in the church, uh, whether in culture. It's sort of famous, Jesus walking on water, right? Lots of parodies, lots of jokes about it. Let me just tell you, spoiler alert, it actually happened. Uh, It means something significant for us. So let me invite you to follow along in your uh, copy of God's Word and hear it uh, with me as if uh, for the first time this morning. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gesineret, And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. As many as touched it were made well. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Would you join me again in prayer? Our Lord, every one of us have come today with an idea of who Jesus is in our minds. Maybe it's our first time at church. Maybe we've been coming uh, our entire lives. We come with set ideas and presuppositions about who your son is. And I, I pray today that by the help of your spirit, we would see and understand not the Jesus of our imagination, but the Jesus of the word. And that we too, at the end, would be like these disciples and we would worship you, declaring in faith, truly you are the Son of God. 
Meet with us, O God, in these few minutes. Open our hearts to believe upon him and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't worry. You can trust me. You've heard that before, right? Somebody said that to you before, right? Don't worry. You can trust me. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody else in the church. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your boss. Don't worry. You can trust me. And immediately your mind thinks, wait, wait a second. Why did you have to say that to me? Is there something going on here that maybe I should have questions about whether I can trust you or not? I wonder if you can think of a time someone has said that to you and you've thought to yourself, I barely know you. I, I don't know a thing about you. How in the world would you expect me to trust you? We like that in friendships, aren't we? We can be like that at work. We can be like that with a lawyer or a banker or a doctor, right? Just trust me. You think, I don't know you. How can I trust you? It can also be like that in faith. Because Jesus is calling us to trust him. And many of us think to ourselves, well, do I really know him? Do I really know Jesus enough to place my faith and trust in him? Maybe a little bit, but, but everything It's hard to trust someone that we don't really know, isn't it? And it's true with that with Christ. And so I want us to see today who Jesus says that he is, who he claims to be, and that we, in fact, can trust him. Or to to switch that sentence around, faith trusts Jesus to be who he says he is, or to be who he claims to be. It's easy to trust him to be who we want him to be. It's harder to trust him to be who he claims to be. So much of this miracle, the power of walking on water, is showing us who Jesus is and the calling for those in the boat and those of us today to trust him for who he says that he is. To trust him to be who he claims to be. Before we get to the miracle itself, just look a moment with me for for the setting of this miracle. Last week we saw Jesus feeding the 5,000 with women and children, a whole lot more uh, than 5,000. Verse 22 says, immediately he sent the disciples into the boat to go before him to the other side of the lake. Uh, He's probably trying to get them away from the adoring crowds that seeing this miracle now want to crown Jesus as their king. And Jesus is essentially saying, if not his words, his actions, it's not time yet. He sends them to the other side and he goes off to pray. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 began with Jesus trying to go off to be by himself in a desolate place and everybody follows him. So now he goes up to the mountain in verse 23 uh, to pray. And he probably prays for a long time, hours and hours. He crosses the sea at the fourth watch of the night. That's the last of the four. So that's sort of the the end of of the night or early morning, right? Between three and six. He's done praying. He goes and he catches up with his disciples. And they go and they cross to the other side of the lake. And they land at a place called Gesineret. and, And there he heals the sick. Showing us again what we've seen over and over again. That Jesus has the power to heal. So, so much power that he's merely touched. Right, His life-giving power heals those who touch him. 
But how does he get from one side to the other? That's the real story, right? <laughs> That's really what we're here to hear about. How does Jesus get from one side to the other? So I want to show you three ways that Jesus shows us who he is in this miracle. And as we're going to see who Jesus is, we're going to see what is the response of faith. Because faith trusts Jesus to be who he says he is. So who does he say that he is? And what does that mean for our faith? Three headings as we work through the miracle. First, we're going to find comfort in the person of Christ. Verses 25 to 27. So who is he? We're going to see his person. What's our response of faith? Comfort. Comfort in the person of Christ. Look at the, the miracle again. Verse 24. Uh, they're in the boat. They're uh, a long way from land. They are beaten by the waves and the wind is against them. So some sort of storm involves both the wind and the waves, preventing the disciples from going where they want to go. In the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, he came to them walking on the sea. That's it. <laughs> Don't you want to look at Matthew and say, come on, man, give me a little bit more than that, right? <laughs> what did this look like? How did this happen? Where were his actual feet? What was going on with the water at the time? How did this happen, Matthew? And Mark and Luke, they also record it for us. But all we get is this, this little phrase, he walked on the sea. It's enough to say that there's, this is an expression of the supernatural power of God over creation. He's not near the shore. They're not mistaken. He's not on a, a hidden sandbar right out there in the middle of the lake. Now, Matthew is, though he doesn't say much, he's clear in what he says. He walks on the sea. How do they react to seeing a man walking on the sea? Their initial reaction, verse 26, they're terrified. And you probably would have been too, right? They are terrified. They think it's a ghost. Now, remember, they've been working all night against the storm. They're trying to get somewhere. They're probably exhausted. Uh, this is that weird time, right, in the morning between 3 and 6, right? The, it's just a little bit dim, right? That's when kind of the, the real weird stuff, right, happens. It's not like the sun has just gone down. They are worn out from a long night, and they see him, and they think it's a ghost. The second time in chapter 14, Jesus has been misidentified. Remember King Herod two weeks ago thought it was John the Baptist come back to life? And now he's a ghost. There's something about what Jesus is doing that people have to attribute to him. Something amazing, something supernatural. His response to them is, is so calm immediately. That word immediately keeps popping up in this story. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Two kind of commands there. Number one, take heart. Or we could also translate that, be courageous. Take courage. Have courage. Don't be afraid. That's the, the, the second command he gives. There's sort of two sides of the same coin, right? The positive and the negative. Be strong. Be courageous. Be brave. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be terrified. So these two words of comfort to them. And if you're them in the boat, you're thinking to yourself, why is this ghost speaking to me? <laughs> right? It's easy for Jesus to say, isn't it? It's easy for him, almost trite words, right? It's okay, don't be afraid. Just, just be courageous. Two commands, but you see what's sandwiched in between the commands? 
There's a claim of who Jesus is. It's, it's just those small little words it's easy to miss. He says, it is I. Kind of a weird way to phrase it in the middle of a storm. And he says, it is I, right? Why should they not be afraid? He's told them not to be, but what's the reasons why they should not be afraid? Well, those couple little words mean a lot. I mean, number one, it's just Jesus telling them, calm down, guys. It's not a ghost, it's me. Right? I mean, has anybody, have you ever startled someone, right, in your household? Maybe an accident or maybe on purpose, right, trying to scare someone. And you say, and they're, they're still freaking out. You say, calm down. It's just, it's just me. It's just, there's no bad guy outside. It's just me. That's what Jesus, I think, is partially saying. Guys, it's, uh, it's just your friend, Jesus. But there's more. When he says, it is I, isn't he also reminding them from a couple chapters ago when he was in the boat with them in another storm? And that storm raged, and at his word, the winds ceased, and the storm dissipated. It's not just, hey, it's, it's not a ghost, it's me, Jesus. It's, it's, remember, I'm the one that controls all of this. <laughs> Don't be afraid. But even more, even, even deeper in those three little words, it is I, we can also translate that as it is in many other places in the Gospels, as Jesus saying, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Now, they didn't translate it that way there because that sounds really weird. Uh, It is I sounds a little bit more normal. But if we look through the Gospels, if we go to John's Gospel, and he is famous for having the I am statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the good shepherd, on and on. It's the same two words, I am. Jesus is, is echoing here what we call the divine name. The name that God uses for himself, the covenant name of God. You know it as Yahweh. You've heard it as Yahweh. Uh, that phrase is a construction of what God says to Moses at the burning bush in the wilderness when he sends him to go and bring the people out of Egypt. And Moses says, what shall I call you? And he says, Say that I am has sent me. What does Yahweh mean? It means what God will go on to say, I am who I am. In the midst of the storm, I don't expect the disciples to be doing Old Testament exegesis as Jesus is claiming his name, right? Maybe some of them are just on top of it as he says that. But as Matthew records the story, he sort of has this veiled hint here. In the phrase of this name, that as the story goes on, will blossom and mean more and more, right? As Jesus is raised from the dead, as he ascends into heaven, the I am is not just, hey guys, it's Jesus. The I am is God is here in your midst, walking on the water. Who is Jesus? He is the ruler of the waves. He's the ruler of the wind. He is the ruler of the waters. And because of who he is, what is supposed to happen to the disciples? They are to be comforted. They are to hear and heed his words to take heart and not be afraid. To skip ahead, I think they, they do for a couple minutes. Because when Peter gets out of the boat, we'll see in a moment, it says that he then becomes afraid Presumably that means he wasn't afraid. So they're afraid. They see Jesus. He says, don't be afraid. I am. Then they're not afraid. 
And then Peter becomes afraid again. Their comfort is found in who Christ is as God with them. Their comfort is found in the person of Jesus. I wonder if you think back in in your life or your childhood, was there a person that when you were afraid, if you just knew they were there, you were fine? They didn't have to do anything, right? I hope you had someone like this, a mom, a dad, grandparents, maybe it's an older sibling, right? You're afraid, but your older sister is asleep next to you, and so you're comforted. That's who Jesus is for for all of us. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says, which there's a, it's got to have some way fulfilled here in walking on the water. Isaiah 43, God says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Before Jesus does anything, he says, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. Be comforted. As we know who Jesus is, we take comfort. We grow in comfort. We rest in who he is. He is with us, and we are not afraid. The first response of faith is comfort in the person of Christ. But as you know, Jesus isn't just somebody. He does something. He does a lot of things, right? We talk about the person and the work of Jesus, who he is and what he does. Let me show you then faith's response to what Jesus does. Verses 28 to 31, confidence in the power of Christ confidence in the power of Christ, confident faith, knowing the power that Jesus has. Verses 28 to 31 are only found here. When you go to look at the other stories, I mean the other accounts of the walking on water, Peter is not mentioned in this special way. It's only here in Matthew, for some reason, that we have Peter's involvement. Uh, Peter, verse 28 answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I wonder what you think of that statement. (laughs) I've thought a lot about it this week, and I'm still not entirely sure what I think about it. (laughs) Is, Is this we might call good, bold, faithful Peter, right? This, Peter's going to come up a lot now. 14, chapter 14, chapter 16, chapter 18. We're going to see Peter a lot. Uh, And sometimes he's good and bold and strong, and he's this model of the faithful disciples. He confesses Christ, right? He's he's got it all going on, right? But other times, what do we know about Peter? Peter, excuse me. Peter. He's foolish. (laughs) He's impetuous, right? He does things. He says things. He takes actions that he's not supposed to. That he gets confused. He thinks this is an act of faith when actually it's not an act of faith of all. It's an act of of disobedience. And honestly, there are many 
commentaries that say Peter's act here is an act of faith. There's other commentaries that say it's an act of a fool. Jesus lets him sink to prove his point. Either way, Jesus hears and he says, verse 29, come. Don't you love that one word? If I'm going to step out of a boat into a raging sea, I'm going to need a little more instruction than that, right? (laughs) Come. This is the second miracle Jesus performs. It seems even more impressive, right? I mean, him walking on water, sure, I guess that's easy. Causing Peter to walk on water, that's a whole whole other level, right? Peter's response is, is so indicative of Peter and of us because there's faith and fear. Just like us, faith, it actually goes faith, fear, faith, if you're taking notes. Faith steps out of the boat and walks. Again, Matthew, I could use a couple more details. <laughs> Peter steps out of the boat and he walked. Interestingly, Matthew says walked on the water, where he tells us that Jesus walked on the sea. Is he trying to make some difference between how Matthew did it and how Peter did it? I, I don't know. Maybe he's just using a different word. It's unclear. But Peter, Peter does it. It's amazing. But then... He's afraid. And you see why he's afraid? He sees the wind and he is afraid and he begins to sink. Now, can you blame him, right? <laughs> I called a friend this week and told him I'm having trouble with Peter. <laughs> what do I do with Peter? He'd preached this about six months ago. And he said, the problem with Peter right here in this moment is he's afraid of the wrong thing. You know what's terrifying in this passage? It's not the wind and the waves. It's the guy walking on the waves, right? That's terrifying. Peter's afraid of the wrong thing. He is afraid of the wind, not the one who speaks the wind into existence. He goes from faith to fear so quickly, but then look how he responds then. At the end of verse 30, he says, Lord, save me. That's a more authentic phrase than, excuse me, Jesus, can I walk with you on the water? I still don't know what to do with that. But Lord, save me. I know what to do with that, right? I've said that. You've said that. Lord, save me. There's, there's no trappings around that. There's no extra words. There's no showing off to the other guys in the boat. Lord, save me. I'm dying right now. This is what a cry of faith looks like. Everything else is stripped away. It's him and he has moments Moments of life left, and he looks to Christ alone. He doesn't look back to the boat. You notice that? He doesn't cry for a life jacket. He doesn't cry for a, a buoy, right? He doesn't cry for like a life to be thrown to him. No, he looks straight at Jesus. There is no other hope of him being saved in that moment is Christ. And we should be on the edge of our seats wondering, what's Jesus going to do? It's not Jesus' fault he's sinking. He was afraid of the wrong thing. How is Jesus going to respond to men and women of such mixed faith that goes from faith to fear in a heartbeat? Is he going to say, Peter, man, I'm done with you. Give me somebody else that's not going to be afraid of the wind. You're out. Give me another disciple. Now it's your turn. What does Jesus do to the cry of, we might call it mixed faith. He immediately, there's our word, reached out his hand and took hold of him. He immediately saves him. Do you know when you read the Psalms, who saves people from water? 
Psalm 69, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Psalm 144, stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. I guess it's one thing to walk on water. It's another thing to reach down from water and pull somebody else out of the watery depths. Right, sinking in the water in, in the Psalms in the Old Testament, it is, a, it is the most explicit image they have for death. Going down to a watery tomb, right? The water's mounting up over their head, locked to the bottom of the sea. No hope, no escape, and God alone rescues people from that depth. And so who is Jesus? He is God who pulls up those who are drowning. You see this? He is defying the power of death itself. He is standing on top of the tomb of the sea. It does not touch him. And from life above death, he reaches down to those dying and he pulls them up. He is the savior of sinners who has the power to defy the gospel, to defy death itself. And this is the gospel news that the one who defies death pulls us out with him that he reaches down and takes those who are despairing of life life itself those whose cry of faith is mingled with fear of the things of this world right (laughs) he saves Peter and this is incredible then he rebukes him don't you wish you knew the tone of voice he used right in here (laughs) I'm going to speculate for a moment. I think this is not his harshest rebuke. When he goes, woe is me. We're gonna, uh, I'm sorry, when he, woe upon them, excuse me, to the Pharisees. That's a lot harsher. He, he, he puts his finger on, on the pulse here with, with Peter. He is a man of little faith, as are we. He is doubting, as do we. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter, look, I'm here. I rule the wind and the waves. You have no reason to doubt. Here's where we have confident faith in what Jesus does. We have confident faith in the power of Christ. Not only who he is, God with us who walks on the waves, what he does. God with us who draws sinners from death itself by his victory over the grave. Jesus is telling Peter and he's telling us, you can trust me. You can trust me. I have the power to save. Many wonder if Peter is intended to be an example of faith for us. I think he is, but I take more comfort in his second act of faith than his first. (laughs) I take more comfort in his raw cry as he is sinking to save him. What does this tell us about Jesus? It tells us a man of weak faith is drawn out of the waters by calling on Christ. It causes me to tell you whether your faith is strong or weak this morning, you call upon Christ and he is faithful. J.C. Ryle, I shared this in a quote this week, writes, how merciful is our Lord Jesus Christ to weak believers. How merciful is he to weak believers? There's one final miracle. There's one final uh, act for Jesus to perform. 
We have comfort in the person of Christ. We have confidence in the power of Christ. Verses 32 and 33, we have confession in the praise of Christ. They confess who he is as a way to praise him for who he is and what he's done. You might have missed the final miracle out of all the other miracles going on. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Here it is again, the second time this has happened. I mean, imagine they've been laboring on this boat all night. And Jesus gets in and the wind ceased. Walking on the sea is one thing, stilling it is another. And you know, many of you, what the raging sea in the Old Testament, what it is a symbol of. You see, they didn't have control over the ocean. They didn't even know anything about the ocean. They didn't know about the the storms coming, right? They didn't have GPS, right? The, The ocean was pure a pure death trap when a storm came up. No hope. And so the, ocean, the, 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 the oceans and the seas were symbolic of chaos and danger and even evil and, and death itself. And here comes God, and in a word, he stills the deep. It is the mission of God, is it not, to conquer and subdue all rebel powers. You might not have thought of the storm at the sea as, as a rebel power, but it is. And God in Jesus has come to subdue it. One preacher said, Jesus, even now, is stilling the deep. What he does now is a promise for what he is going to do in the age to come. Where the sea, you know this, is flat as glass. Because the king reigns. How do the disciples respond to this, man, I'm, this may be when they should be the most fearful, right? Verse 32, 33, excuse me. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You know what they said back in chapter eight, when Jesus stilled the storm, they said, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Now, six chapters later, they have a better sense of who he is, right? Well, who is he? He's the son of God. We've seen that phrase before. You know who said it already in Matthew's gospel? The devil, when he tempted Jesus in chapter four. The demons with the pigs in chapter eight. Remember that? You know who hasn't said this yet? The disciples. (laughs) First time it appears on the lips of the disciples. Jesus is the son of God. You could just imagine from the raging storm, boom, it's still and silent. Of all the miracles they saw, they bowed in submission to the one with divine power, the one who's God's one and only son, the one who is God himself, fully God in every way, God walking among us. Who is Jesus He walks on the waves. He stills the waves. He is the very son of God. And do you notice how they say it? Look at that that final phrase. They say, truly you are. It's like it's sort of just dawned on them. And it's going to get better. Like their confessions are going to get better as we go on in Matthew. This It's like layers are dropping off from their eyes and more and more they're seeing who Jesus is. This is what we would call a confession of faith. 
They are confessing who Jesus is. It is their statement of faith, who he is and what they believe him to be. He's claimed to be the son of God in walking, rescuing Peter, stilling the waves. And now they are confessing it. They're adding their yes and amen to who Jesus claims to be. And it causes them to worship him. That's no small thing, y'all. Good, faithful Jewish men do not fall down at the feet of another man. That is blasphemy in their worldview. But they have finally, or rather I should say, they are finally beginning to see him for who he really is. And that he's actually worthy of their worship. They tell us in these, just this one verse how truth fuels our worship. Ever tried to make a fire with wet wood? I bet a bunch of you were trying to make fires yesterday. And if you had some wet wood, man, it's, it's a pain to try to make that fire. But you've got that good, dry, seasoned wood, you throw it in there and it, it's, you're good to go, right? If you think of a fire as, as the expression of our heartfelt worship to God, what kind of logs do we want to throw on that fire? We want to say things that are true about Jesus. We want to know who he is. We want to know him more and more. And that fuels the flame of our worship of him. If you don't know Christ or you don't care to know him more or you only know him as he exists in your imagination, you're trying to light the fire of worship with wet wood. And it's going to sputter and flame out. You've heard the phrase, to know him is to love him. That's what this tells us about Jesus. To know him, truly you are the son of God, is to love him. In the boat, they worshiped him. To see who he is prompts our response of worship. Y'all, that should make us want to know Jesus as the chief aim of our lives. The more we know him, his person, his work, his grace, his justice, his mercy, his righteousness, the more we know him, the bigger the flame of our worship will be. Comfort, confidence, and confession. Are you struggling to trust Christ today? Are you thinking, yeah, he says that I'm supposed to trust him, but pastor, I barely know him. (laughs) Are you afraid of the wrong things? Has your suffering caused you to doubt his power? Has your shame caused you to doubt his grace? Do you perpetually believe that you are unworthy of Christ? Let me say to you what I believe he is saying to us in this account. Faith trusts Jesus for who he claims to be. He is the man who walks on water. He is God with us. Cry out to him in faith and he will never turn away from you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your son and our Lord is the one revealed to us in your word. We confess at times we want him to be someone else. We want him to do other things and humble us and cause us to submit to the truth of your word that we would see Christ for who he really is 
And I pray for those who are, are afraid that he would bring great comfort. For those of us whose faith is weak, seeing what he does would bring us great confidence. And that you, the more and more you show us your mighty son, the more and more we would love and worship him and fall down at his feet. Lord, bless us with that knowledge and that heartfelt worship, we pray.